2020 certainly was a banner year for ESG funds. According to Morningstar, we actually saw over $51 billion flow into ESG funds. We also saw that ESG funds outperformed their traditional counterparts. That being said as well, as this ESG market has grown quite a bit, there's a need for looking a little bit under the hood as two asset managers that may have a similarly labeled fund may be doing some things differently from a stewardship perspective. Hi, I'm Andy Prada, ESG research analyst at Sage Advisory, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Emma Harper and Sarah Rodriguez, both ESG analysts, to talk about an important aspect that you need to look at when looking at your ETF and mutual fund providers. Emma, you recently just released our annual stewardship survey. Can you talk a little bit about kind of what is what we're looking at from a stewardship perspective? Sure. So as you mentioned, uh, the flows toward ETFs uh, this last year, as in the last several years, has been extraordinary. There are a number of providers or sponsors that that look on the face of it the same, but have very different operations and how they uh, actually utilize their ownership rights, which we'll talk about. So as an ETF holder or, or an investor in an ETF, basically what you're giving up in holding the ETF and not holding the individual name or stock or bond is that ownership right that comes with the owning of the actual stock or bond. Uh, and, and with that ownership right comes the right to vote on uh, issues facing companies that are within the ETF. And so if you hold the ETF, you're actually giving those rights or ownership rights over to the ETF sponsor themselves. And therefore, the ETF sponsor has a great amount of power in terms of voting on these companies and their strategies going forward, major decisions, talking about their boards and and strategy of, of things like climate, et cetera. And so it's really important to understand what these ETF providers are doing with their ownership rights that they what we have given over as ETF holders. And so that's why stewardship is really important to take a look at if you're an ETF holder, uh, because you have to understand what these providers are doing with their ownership rights. Are they voting in line with what you would expect? Do you care about potentially environmental, social, and governance issues? If so, are the ETF providers voting in line with how you would want them to vote on those issues? Similarly, it's not just voting that we're looking at. We're looking at engagement are they talking with these companies about strategy are they talking with these companies about maybe some things they want to see changed uh, for the better and we want to know as ETF holders what they're doing when they're talking with these companies we want to know are they just talking with them and not really having any sort of significant change after the talks or do they have metrics to determine success after they've talked with them about something that they are, are concerned about and you know have some sort of metric for success for the company to actually have made a change. So it's really important to understand how these ETF providers are thinking about these these rights that they have and utilizing uh, what they what power they have in order to drive positive change and positive outcome in portfolio companies. 
I know you've been very, you know, based on our results that we've seen from the last few years, we've seen a lot of claims to be made of, you know, future results and, and getting better on all these issues you, you mentioned. But in the end, we haven't really seen the results in past years that it's kind of a lot of, you know, hot air more or less. Is this year different? Did we see anything that stood out to you of, you know, with actual results that have showcased that companies are are actually following through with some of these big issues that they have said they care about? Yeah, this has been a hot button issue in the past uh, because basically there's been a lot of ETF providers that have said that they agree with certain certain ideas, certain ways that they would want companies to act. Um, and then if you take a look at their voting record or their engagement record, it doesn't exactly match up with what they say they believe in and what they say they want to drive in terms of positive outcome in the portfolio companies that they hold. And so that's been something that uh, has really driven investor focus in the last several years. And I think uh, some of the larger ETF providers have heard what investors have to say and have, have somewhat, I think, felt some pressure in terms of needing to put their money where their mouth is and really vote in line with how they say that they would vote. Uh, and so we've seen some positive changes on some uh, ETF providers' accounts in terms of aligning uh, their voting practices, their engagement practices more with what they say they believe in. Uh, but it is a little bit of a mixed, mixed pack uh, in terms of the fact that some of the peer group is, you know, really riding the ship, really changing how they're thinking about this kind of voting engagement, kind of puzzle pieces fitting together. And some of them that are still lagging behind uh, and still needing to have uh, an improvement in their practices. So we have seen some improvement, uh, but we're still going to be looking for more improvement, hopefully in the, in the next years to come as we continue to do this survey. That's really interesting, Emma. And, and I, I guess question this would be for you, Sarah. I know you took a deep look at some of these, you know, voting issues. Did anything strike out to you of of a trends, whether it's certain, you know, ES, you know, or G issues or maybe a say on pay or something along those lines? I know that the voting issue has become a hot topic, especially when we just saw at ExxonMobil with engine number one, you know, those board uh, board of directors getting, you know, added and, and BlackRock was a key, you know, vote behind um, putting those new directors on board. Do you see any kind of trends or any sort of certain areas where there's a maybe more action being taken? Yeah, absolutely, Andy. And like Emma mentioned before, it's really important that we kind of take a look under the hood with what these ETF providers are doing with their investors' votes. So this is a section of the survey that we find really important. So oftentimes these ETF providers are required to fill out thousands of proxy votes. So they'll often give their proxy voting capabilities over to a third party and let them handle it. We don't necessarily love that because that means that they're not really taking an active approach to making these voting decisions. One trend that we saw this year is that the ETF providers are using these proxy advisors as more of a research tool rather than a recommendation tool. So they're using them to gather data on the companies that they hold in their portfolios, but in the end, they're making the decisions themselves. And we find that to be really positive. So that was one area of improvement, but overall we saw that the ETF providers do seem to be scoring better in the voting section. Uh, last year, we had only 64% of them pass with a C or higher, and this year that number bumped up to 71%.
We also saw that the repeat respondents either improved their grades or stayed the same 84% of the time. So we're pretty happy with those results. And that's something that we're going to keep taking a look at. Very interesting. So obviously, it sounds like there's been a lot of improvement from last year. I guess the question I would have is, what about next year? And now we've seen this great improvement. Is there still work to be done? And if so, do you anticipate asking any more questions or, or focusing on different areas? And what do you think will be the, the hope to kind of see from the improvement on these companies uh, for next year? So the survey changes from year to year based on new emerging trends that we find um, are very impactful to the portfolio companies under ETFs and also within the ETF provider's actual own operations. And we want to be incorporating these trends, making sure we're understanding them, keeping on top of them, um, and monitoring changes in these trends. Uh, So last year, we added a climate section uh, to really dig into ETF sponsor oversight of climate and what they were doing to uh, understand the risks that portfolio companies had in terms of climate exposure and whether they were monitoring those risks or helping to foster better climate strategies for the portfolio companies under the ETF providers. This year, we uh, added a diversity, equity, and inclusion section, which we find to be really important uh, to companies overall to have a strong diversity, equity, inclusion policy, be able to promote diversity at all levels of management, not just at lower levels of management, but throughout the entire structure of a firm. And so this year we asked about diversity, equity, inclusion policies within the ETF providers' own operations, what they were doing to foster diversity, throughout uh, the different parts of the management structure and any plans that they had in the future to expand upon these initiatives. We found that many of our ETF providers did well in terms of the actual stated diversity policies that they had on the books. 94% of, of the providers indicated that they had a stated diversity, equity, and inclusion policy. So we're excited to see that. And we view diversity as a really important hallmark of a successful firm. There's actually a study from McKinsey that we included in the stewardship report uh, talking about gender diversity and racial and ethnic diversity leading to outperformance over peers on profitability. Uh, Those with better gender and racial and ethnic diversity outperformed peers on profitability. So we definitely see it as an important uh, topic, something to be Uh, driven towards. And this upcoming year, we're planning on adding a section about how the ETF providers are managing the oversight of portfolio companies in terms of diversity, equity, inclusion. Is it something they're monitoring, something they're talking to portfolio companies about, helping to foster further diversity, helping to foster any initiatives that might be you know, in a nascent stage with the portfolio companies, et cetera. So that's something we'll be adding on and are looking forward to uh, discovering more about in the upcoming uh, years. Wow, that's really interesting, Emma. And I definitely look forward to seeing next year's results. But in the, in the meantime, I'd implore anybody that is, you know, very interested in stewardship, which they should be, our report, the Sage Stewardship Survey, is available on sageadvisory.com as well as on LinkedIn. In the meantime, I think, you know, I really appreciate both you, Emma and Sarah, coming on and, and talking about that. And I hope that 
we will continue to have these discussions on stewardship because it's a really interesting topic and an integral part of what asset managers need to be doing. So with that, thank you for listening and hope everybody has a great day. Sage Advisory Services is a registered investment advisor that provides investment management services for a variety of institutions and high net worth individuals. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended as investment advice or an offer or solicitation with respect to the purchase or sale of any security, strategy, or an investment product. Investors should make their own decisions on investment strategies based on their specific investment objectives and financial circumstances. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. For additional information on SAGE and its investment management services, please view our website at www.sageadvisory.com or refer to our form ADV, which is available upon request by calling 512-327-5530.